Let's face it, AI has gotten a pretty bad rap in the media and pop culture. Just think of Terminator, Blade Runner, or Ex Machina. But I think it's time that we give AI a fair shake. Welcome to Practical AI, the capacity for good, where we speak with some of the brightest minds in the industry about the exciting intersection of AI automation, customer support, and customer experience, and how we can use the latest and greatest technology to help teams do their best work. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Practical AI, the capacity for good. My name is James Deal. Experience matters, and so does the process we designed to create that experience. We can't provide customers extraordinary experiences unless we're intentional, and intention takes effort. Today, we'll explore practical ways to engage your customer intentionally using AI. And to help me do that today, joining me is Annette Franz, founder and CEO of CX Journey, a global customer experience strategy consulting firm that specializes in laying the groundwork required to establish a CX roadmap and strategy. She's a certified customer experience professional with over 30 years of experience helping clients in a variety of industries to develop and execute their customer experience strategies. Annette, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to clarify that I started when I was four. So ah, perfect. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> so, you know, would love to just as we jump in here, would love to learn a little bit about you, your background, and what is now getting you up out of bed every morning. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, I started my career here in um, the customer experience profession about 30 years ago. 1992, J.D. Power and Associates. I grew up on a farm out in the middle of nowhere. So there was, everybody always asked me, so what's your, what was the, you know, transition point? What made you? And I was like, you know, I moved to Southern California in the late eighties and I needed a job. (laughs) So necessity. Yes. So I I was working, but you know, I was ready to start a career and I was looking in the paper. So we're now dating ourselves. We're looking in the newspaper and found a job for JD Power Associates. And I thought, you know, market research, I love to write. I love math. Thank you now. And it's been a great ride ever since. You know, I remember when I worked there, people would ask me, you know, what same question, what gets you up in the morning? You know, what excites you about this work? And it's really about helping businesses do better, be better, take care of their people, all of that. So over the last 30 years, I spent time both on the vendor side, running consulting services organizations for some of the major VOC vendors, and then had a couple of stints on the client side with Mattel, with Fidelity Investments, and a couple of startups. So that's, yeah. And I started my business back in early 2017, and it's been a great ride. I've been able to do and do the work that I love to do. And I think that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, right? It is doing the work that I love to do, whether it's consulting with my clients or it's writing the next article, writing my next book, whatever. So this is fun for me. So, And you've written a couple of books, right? I think one of them is called Customer Understanding, Three Ways to Put the Customer in Customer Experience. Can you tell us what those three are or do we have to buy the book? But what? <laughs> <laughs> if you buy the book, you'll learn all the details behind it. But yeah, those three ways are, I call it listen, characterize, and empathize, right? Listen is about, you know, getting feedback from your customers, however you get that feedback. 
and the breadcrumbs of data that they leave behind, you know, when they interact or transact with the brand. And then the second one is what I call characterize. And it's really doing the work, doing the research to understand who your customers are and building out personas as a result of that work. And then the third one is what I call em- empathize. And that is journey mapping and the journey mapping process, both current state, future state, service blueprinting, all of that to ultimately design and then in the end, implement and deliver a great experience for customers and for employees. Same three things apply to employees and the employee experience as well. So you are obviously regularly recognized by companies around the world as a top speaker. You've written a couple of books. You consult. When you're sitting down with CX professionals, executives, what is it that you're typically talking to them about and what types of work are you doing with them? Yeah. So I'm doing soup to nuts customer experience strategy, right? There's culture transformation, there's employee experience, there's the customer experience. Usually start those conversations with, you know, what, why did you reach out to me? (laughs) What is your pain point? What's the catalyst? And really start from there because customer experience and the work that we do as businesses really is about what problems are we solving for our customers. And so I take my approach to working with my clients CX 101 is what I call it, right? You know, so what problem are you trying to solve? And those are the conversations that we start with. What problems are you trying to solve? And they may tell me it's one thing, but then once I start to do the work, I typically uncover that it's something else. And I always use the example of this one client who, you know, the CEO told me, oh, everything's good. We just have a communication issue. And it's like, well, communication, such a big part of, and I always call that like probably the most overlooked part of the experience in general. And so, you know, when I start doing the work, I'll interview the executive team, I'll interview some employees and some customers, and I come back with this 60-page report. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) and I said to my client, I was working with the chief customer officer, I said, do you want me to summarize that in an executive summary? Or do you want me to take him through all 60 pages? And he was like, I don't know, I'll take him through all 60 pages because he needs to hear it all, right? So... That's the work that I do because that really sort of lays the foundation for, you know, developing that roadmap and then, you know, really points us in the right direction in terms of the work that we need to do together going forward. Makes sense. So you wrote an article called Operationalizing Your Customer Data, and it discusses listening to your customers, incorporating their data into the business strategies as key to the customer experience success. So can you talk a little bit more about that? So listening is, as I mentioned earlier, listening is feedback, however we get that, and then marrying that with those breadcrumbs of data that they leave behind. So whether it's website data, it's purchase data, it's any other sort of point of sale data or any other, you know, call center, you know, contact center data, why they call, when they call, resolve, all those kinds of things, what the problem was. Taking all that data and marrying it and helping us really understand a who the customer is, where they are in the journey, where they are in their relationship with the brand and what their expectations are and how well we're performing against those expectations. I mean, that's a lot of information to go into building out an understanding of the customer and then uh, the strategy itself. So you mentioned data. Data is critical. The breadcrumbs they leave behind. We have are now experiencing an explosion in regards to AI, specifically around generative AI, large language models. Large language models wouldn't really be possible without large amounts of data and managing it that way. I mean, you, with, but the data is the key piece. You can have all of the structure of the intelligence. If you don't have good data for it to work off of, then you've got a problem. So now that we've got the the models there, how do businesses leverage that? in conjunction with their data? And what are you seeing out there in the market with that? Or what are you suggesting? Well, I think 
the first challenge that they have, and then I'll come back to what I'm seeing, how they're using AI. The first challenge that they have is uncovering all the data that they have. What do we have and where is it and how do we access it, right? I think that's still, you know, we've been talking about big data for years and we've also been talking about where is the data and how do we get to it for years? And I think that's still a big challenge for a lot of companies. A lot of the clients that I'm working with and colleagues that I'm talking to and hearing from others is, yeah, that. so that's the first part of it. So you can't feed the model if you don't know what the data is and, you know, have access to it. But I think for those that are doing it, and have really incorporated AI into their operations. A couple of things, you know, I know for years we've been saying, you know, AI and automation, all those things are not about taking away jobs. They're about, you know, processes, right? Automating processes and taking some of those menial tasks from employees so that employees can then either be upskilled or focus on, you know, value add for customers and those kinds of things. And that's what a lot of companies are doing right now. And I still say, I don't think People need to worry about their jobs, although we're getting to sort of a turning point in that in that narrative. Like we just heard last week that IBM is laying off eight thousand people because they've brought in their you know AI. They're automating the work that those folks were doing. But I also think that there's an opportunity for us to take those employees and not necessarily lay them off, but either find other things that they can do to, like I said, to add value for the customer for the business upskill them, give them other opportunities. And AI doesn't work by itself, right? I mean, you have somebody's got to be, somebody's got to be there. There's still, I think there's still got to be some human intervention or oversight there as well. So so I think I went roundabout. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if I answered all the questions, but for those that are using it today, they are using it to automate. They're using it to assist, whether it's agents or folks on the phone, so that they're, you know, I when I worked at Fidelity, we did what we call double jacking. So somebody sits and listens to a call with an agent, right? And the thing that sort of blew me away, although I kind of already knew it, because when you're sitting on a call and the agent goes, oh, my machine's so slow. Oh, hang on a second. My computer's so slow. It's because they're actually got 13 screens popped up. <laughs> They're trying to find your information. They're trying to find your answers, you know? And so with AI, it can work in conjunction with the agent and be feeding that information to the agent as the agent's actually having a conversation with the customer. So those are some of the things we're seeing. Agent productivity and and really helping the employees work faster and more efficient and be more productive. And on the customer side, it's doing a lot of the same things as well. So if it's being used correctly and the data is accessible, those are the kinds of things that it's being used for today. Yeah, I was just talking to somebody last week and and saying the similar things about how the the value of of AI for businesses is really in the augmentation of the employees and the human augmentation, not necessarily in the replacement of the roles. And certainly some of that will come. I mean, we're definitely going to see some types of roles just not be necessary anymore, but there's a lot more of an opportunity and relevancy for the AI to be Augmentative, if that's a word, right? <laughs> so when we think about then, okay, we have to go in, we need a strategy here um, around incorporating AI into CX strategy. W- what is some of the groundwork that needs to be done? I think you mentioned you got to figure out where your data is. What data do you have, where it is, and how do you get it? Are there other things that are kind of like basic groundwork kind of activities that need to be thinking about? I think there's a couple of things. First of all, 
And I want to explain the customer experience because customer experience is some of all the interactions that a customer has with a brand over the life of the relationship, right? And it's feelings, emotions, and perceptions about those interactions. And when I define customer experience, I usually say what it's not. And one of the things that I say that it's not is technology. And I think we have to remember this piece of it, which is technology is there to support and facilitate the experience. It's not the experience itself. So wanted to just throw that out there. But I think the other thing that we have to have in place is the right culture, right? The right culture. We talk about data and yeah, I absolutely believe that data is at the heart of designing and delivering a great experience. But we also have a culture of a data-driven culture, a customer-driven culture, right? A customer-centric culture is obviously what I've written about, but we have to have that to make sure that, to your point, AI is used for good, right? That it is used for good and that we're focused on the people and we're not just bringing it in and, and kicking people out of their jobs or not just bringing it in and taking over the world kind of thing. We have to have a culture where the data is, the work has been done to find the data, centralize it, you know, analyze it and, all, and give the right people access to it. I think that I've actually talked people out of doing some of the work that they wanted to do simply because they didn't have the right culture in place, simply because they didn't have the foundation, which is the executives, the CEO, everybody has to be on board. There's got to be budget. There's got to be all these different pieces and parts to it. And if that's not there, then you start doing this work in one officer, one department versus another, then it becomes, first of all, it's not an organization-wide effort. And then second of all, it becomes, it's not a seamless and consistent experience for the customer. And so it feels very disjointed and very choppy. And I think that's the big problem. If you interact with one department and you're like, wow, this was a great experience. They get me and they understood me and it was fast and it was efficient because they're using AI and they're using that data in the way that it ought to be used. And then you go and work with another department and they haven't adopted it yet. And it's like wow, I just went back to the 1970s. What happened here, you know? And it's like, so, I mean, that culture has to, and culture, obviously, organization, enterprise-wide thing. And that culture really has to be in place. That's It is the foundation for, I think, the work that lies ahead. And again, to your point, to use AI for good. So what I'm hearing you say is it's important then to have a holistic customer experience that's extraordinary. It needs to be culturally applicable to the entire business. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. And how do you get there? If we're talking culture, where does it start? Who's involved in it? And how do you do that? I mean, in some organizations, that can be, I imagine, pretty difficult. It can be, right? Of course, it's easier if you're a startup and you're building it from the ground up when you you know, start building your business. But it's not impossible to change it in more mature organizations. And it really is driven from the top. I think the CEO has to deliberately design the culture to be the way that it's meant to be, right? The leaders are the shadow of the culture, right? The culture is, sorry, the culture is the shadow of the leaders. And so they've got to be the ones who design it, put the wheels in motion to have the culture that they want to have. Otherwise you get what you get. And if you don't deliberately design it, you get the one that you allow, right? And so starts with the leaders, starts with defining your core values and then is socializing and operationalizing those core values, right? Defining what they mean, defining behaviors that are acceptable and unacceptable for each one of those core values. It is a lot of work and it takes time, but it can be done. And it's, again, it has to be driven from the top. And then we have, you know, then we take it out to our employees and we aim for this grassroots, what I call grassroots groundswell, right? The employees adopt it, they engage with the work that needs to be done to keep that culture alive and going. And 
I think that's an important part of it is that the culture is not just a, hey, set it and forget it. We defined our core values done. You know, we got a culture, you know, it's not that easy and it doesn't work that way. It's something that has to be maintained on an ongoing basis and focused on on an ongoing basis to sustain that level of culture that you're looking to design, right? So, so it is a bit of work, but it starts from the top and then we've got to have this rich groundswell where the employees adopt it and carry it. Yeah. So I guess to the point earlier that I was making in the intro, it's got to be intentional and it has to be intentional starting from the top. It doesn't just happen. And you don't want it to happen in silos either, because then you get a disparate employee or customer experience. Well, and and disparate employee experience. It does happen if you don't intentionally design it. It's just the one you didn't necessarily want. I think the saying goes, you get the culture you design or the one you allow. So, and to your point too, yeah, from department, if you've got different cultures and, and it does happen, you have this culture within your team or within your department, but ultimately you've all got to live the larger organization's culture. And that's the important thing. So you start with some intentionality, you identify the areas, you start to lay the groundwork and culture. Where's your data? What metrics then do you use to measure the success of one, your overall customer experience, but also how you, when you apply AI in there, maybe what are some metrics you're seeing companies use around AI? I think, so a lot of people immediately go to NPS and I'm just not a fan of NPS. I would say customer satisfaction. And then especially when it comes to the AI piece is the customer effort score. Those two are probably my two favorite metrics. But as I think- What is the customer effort score? What is that? Can you define that? I won't get the wording perfectly here, but it's something along the lines of how easy was it to solve your problem or how easy was it to get your question answered, you know, something along those lines. And it- the scale has been changed a couple of times, but it's basically on a, you know, very easy to very difficult type of a scale. So, and I think, you know, as we talk about AI, I think that's exactly where we want AI to help, obviously, and to, for that score to always be on the very easy side. So, yep, that makes sense. Good. So you sometimes talked about companies struggling to ensure the customers at the center of all their business activities. How can AI be used to help make the customer at the center? Have you had any thoughts or seen that? Not necessarily to make the customer experience easier, better, but to actually help the customer be at the center of the business. Or is that just more of a mentality? It is a mentality. I have not seen it in practice yet. I would love to hear of those who've used it. I can certainly imagine ways where, because if you think about what it means to be customer-centric, my definition is there's no discussions, no decisions, no designs without bringing in that customer voice and asking how this impacts or how it makes her feel. AI, that data and the AI, the technology can obviously be used to ensure that the things that we do bring that customer voice in, bring that customer. Obviously, it's going to because AI is based on the data, right? And so if we use that, I think we're halfway there, maybe more than halfway. So, (laughs) (laughs) So what are some struggles that you're seeing companies experience right now as they think about AI or or what are some of their hesitations actually is, I guess, a better word, better phrase than what I'm looking for. Yeah, I think there's two. One we talked about already, which is the data. Where is it? And what's the quality? I think that's a really important one. And really, how do we make sure that that's contextually relevant data, right? So I think that's a big piece of it. And the other piece of it is the question about what does this mean for my employees? I'm constantly hearing that. I don't want AI to 
you know, I'm concerned that it's going to replace my employees. And I hear from employees too. I'm concerned that the automation means my job is going to go away. I actually worked with a client who's in the RPA space. And that was all the conversations that I was doing interviews with their customers. And all the conversations I had were around that. They were either around the data and challenges with data strategy, or it was employees concerned about, you know, what does this mean for me? So as you think about the future and where we are five years or maybe even jump 10 years from now with customer experience, what are some of the things you think about we could be experiencing as businesses? Well, hopefully, you know, and listen, I've been in this space for 30 years and (laughs) just this customer experience thing just really was acknowledged as terminologies, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago. So it's still relatively newish itself. And I think that, I mean, the hopes that I have are maybe a little bit more basic and foundational than, you know, people always ask me, well, what are the trends or what are your predictions? And I'm like, you know, it's really hard to talk about the future and about those trends and where things are going and all the silver, you know, shiny bullets out there, right? You know, when when a lot of companies are still struggling with the basics, you know, leadership, CEOs who don't get it, you know, or leaders who don't get it, or it's one, two people on the executive team and nobody else. And it's just not, and they certainly don't understand the implications, you know, that the employee experience have on the customer experience. So my response is always, I go back to the basics because there are still so many companies who don't get that. And in order to get to the point where you can be successful with all those shiny objects, you do you have to have that foundation in place. Otherwise, I just feel like it's going to go sideways at some point. And, and, you know, whether it's people leave because they don't understand what's going on or they don't feel like they're supported in their work or feel valued or whatever it is. But I think you have, always have to start with that, the basics. So, And there's still a lot of companies out there who don't. So what I'm hearing you say is that technology is not going to solve the human problem that we have in businesses. I mean, Amen. <laughs> yes, couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> there we go. So what you're seeing in the landscape, in the customer experience landscape right now, what besides AI, are there any other trends that are that are really popping up or that are standing out to you? Yeah. And I think, you know, ultimately this is where AI is probably going to come in and help with these things. I think that personalization is like the big and hyper-personalization, the hot buttons right now, you know, and the fact that customers are willing to give up their data so that they can have an experience that is relevant to them and to their needs, right? So I think that's probably the biggest thing is that personalized experience. I think the other thing, two things, personalized experience. And then the other thing is this omni-channel, this notion of omni-channel. And we've been talking about this for forever. And then omni-channel got knocked out and people started calling it digital <laughs> and the digital experience. And it was like, okay, because omni-channel is not sexy anymore. So let's call it a digital. And I think that there's still a lot of issues there, but I think that this is an important piece of the puzzle, right? People want that personalized experience, but they also want it to be seamless across the board, across every department, across every channel. And we we have to solve for that somehow. And, and again, it goes back to the data and the right technology and using it the right way. So one of the things I've been hearing a lot about and we've kind of seen in our world is messaging being the primary channel. Would you agree with that as far as I mean, voice is always going to be there, right? Voice is still, you know, people still want to talk to people or solve their issues over voice. But Messaging, 
seems to really be popular. Yeah. And it's interesting, your first comment, because there's a statistic out there that says that the more technologically advanced that brands become, the more people want to interact with a human, right? So I think it's like the technology becomes either too convoluted or it's not working well, the chatbots, the even messaging, right? I mean, it's not enough. It is just not enough. And especially when you have complex issues, it's not enough, right? So what I'm seeing is clients using and other companies using a variety of channels, but seriously, there always has to be an out to be able to talk to a human. And I think we spend so much time trying to save money by automating or, you know, not having people answer the phones or do this, that we just create some other issues. And that's why that statistic happens to be out there. And I truly believe it, you know, most of the time I've, anytime I've started on, you know, any kind of platform that's not talking to somebody, I end up calling because it's just not there yet for everybody yet. So so do you have any other insights that you've been kind of noodling on lately or see popping up in this space that you think would be good to share? I can't think of anything else right now. Like It really is the basics, right? It's that focus on employee experience is a big one right now, trying to really understand what's going on with employees. And I think this AI this notion of AI and people fearing that they'll lose their jobs is just going to complicate that whole subject a lot more. Interesting. That's an interesting take. I haven't really heard the employee experience is important. It's critical. There's employee experience, customer experience, but I haven't heard people saying, when you think about employee experience, think about the impact of AI on that as if the impact it's going to have on the employee. Exactly. And be aware of that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, I have just a couple more questions here before we wrap up, and they're kind of softball questions, but would love to know who in the world of either just corporate America, or maybe if you want to narrow it down to CX world, would you like to take to lunch? Would you enjoy spending a lunch with and why? This is an interesting question. And I just saw an interview with him last night and I was like, gosh, I just, he's fascinating to listen to. And maybe this will, some people will... (laughs) question me for this, but I'm going to say Elon Musk. I mean, seriously, I think that would be a fascinating point. I heard I last night I watched an interview with him and Bill Maher and I was just like, gosh, and I've seen plenty of interviews with him, but, and I follow him on Twitter and everything. I'm going with Elon Musk on that one. You want to join us? (laughs) That's a good one. I'd love to join you for lunch. If you pull that off, yes. <laughs> that would be fascinating. So one final question then. We talked about experience, customer experience, employee experiences. I really believe that experiences lead to memories and memories are help form our appreciation for something or our disdain for something, but they're really, there are significant impacts on our psyche. And so, you know, things are valuable, can be, but they come and go. And memories, we always have them until the end. And so the question would be, if you could create a life experience for yourself or your family or others, what would that be? Kind of without regard for cost or effort, but like, what would that life experience be that would create memories? Wait, you said these are going to be softball questions. (laughs) (laughs) It's an easy one, but really not, I guess. (laughs) Okay, here's I, I do actually have one here, and it would be to go 
out into the woods somewhere, find a beautiful lake and a forest. I've got it's picture in my head <laughs> where just see. <laughs> I do have an idea there. Yeah, it's out in the woods. You know, again, I grew up on a farm, so yeah, I miss that open space and you know, being out there having a few animals, go fishing, go you know, paddle boarding, do whatever, just hiking every day, just being out with nature. I mean, that is just. I dream of that often. <laughs> <laughs> we so often, and if you know, if we're in a city or if we're just busy lives, to have that unplug, that go into a space there in nature and just be, is a really powerful thing, actually, and then creates great memories. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, my kids are eighteen and twenty-one, and they both, you know, school, work, and I just say we're like three ships passing in a night most. <laughs> weeks, right? So, you know, even last night I was like, oh good, they're both gonna be home and we're gonna, you know, have dinner with them for the first time and I don't know. And then, you know, one ends up going this direction, the other one ends up going that direction. And then I'm sitting here by myself. And I was like, well, that wasn't the plan for the day. No, no, if you could just have them in the woods for a couple of days, right? And create some memories. (laughs) There you go. Well, Annette, thanks so much for joining me today. This was great, insightful conversation. Really appreciated the time. Thanks for having me. So, and we'll look forward to chatting again sometime in the future. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Cheers. Practical AI, the capacity for good is brought to you by Capacity, an automated help desk, knowledge base and customer experience platform. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you would like to improve your customer experience and internal operations, head over to capacity.com and get started for free. On behalf of the whole team, thanks for listening.